This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I failed you. I failed myself. And all humanity. Trump's power is waning. I know I shouldn't say it out loud. I don't want to jinx it. But Trump doesn't have the juice he had even a month ago. The January 6th committee has turned the drip, drip, drip of evidence against Trump into an open spigot, and the shit is clearly hitting the fan in Trump land. How else do you explain the former president calling a witness who hasn't yet testified to the committee and leaving a message, an actual message? That's not like him. He's getting sloppy. He'd never leave fingerprints. Well, at least not in the old days. But now it's all coming undone, and I can say without much hesitation that Trump's best days are behind him. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. As our investigation has shown, Donald Trump had access to more detailed and specific information showing that the election was not actually stolen than almost any other American. And he was told this over and over again. No rational or sane man in his position could disregard that information and reach the opposite conclusion. And Donald Trump cannot escape responsibility by being willfully blind. But where is the Republican pushback after Tuesday's expansive hearing into the insurrection? Why isn't Kevin McCarthy holding a press conference to complain that the January 6th committee is illegitimate and attacking an innocent man? Where are Hannity and Laura Ingraham's rebuttals? Where is Elise Stefanik's maniacal tweets defending her lord and master? You know the answer? Nowhere. Fucking nowhere. That's where. And I'm betting that right about now, Stefanik is wishing she was on Team Cheney where you can be both a Republican and a hero. But as the walls close in, the rats are jumping ship. I do think these hearings are having an impact, certainly on the former president. Um, I'm hearing from Mar-a-Lago, he's very nervous. And if you just see the cadence of his ridiculous statements, knowing him like I do, he's scared. And I like that. Tuesday's hearing gave us the step-by-step roadmap to the insurrection. They proved that multiple people had told Trump he'd lost the 2020 election to Joe Biden. After Trump's 30-plus bogus court cases claiming election fraud had all been thrown out, the same people still working in the White House were just hanging on for dear life until December 14th, when all the state's electoral votes were confirmed and all legal challenges would stop. (sighs) Finally, it would finally be over. But as I've told you a hundred times, there was no way that Donald J. Trump was going to let go of power. Not then, not now, not ever. But during the last days of his disastrous presidency, General Trump amused himself by planning and executing an armed revolution. And in this meeting on December 18th at the White House, which was kind of almost a Star Wars bar scene of Motley Crue of, you know, Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell and people like that, all people who should have no business advising, you know, the door person, let alone the president of the United States. Um, And these folks were basically cooking up a plot for a coup. On December 18th, a ragtag group of crazies snuck into the White House. The crazies included Sidney Powell, 
I mean, look up Karen in the dictionary and you'll find a picture of Powell. Disgraced General Michael Flynn, Rudy fucking Colludi Giuliani, former Chief of Staff Mark the Moron Meadows, and the CEO of Overstock.com, who we'll just call the Overstock Guy. And on December 18th, the crazies were having an impromptu meeting. For our country and for our children, the best is yet to come. A meeting that was the culmination of all of their fucking bizarre conspiracy theories and stupid plots, including a draft of an executive order for the Defense Department to seize state voting machines, and a special counsel appointment for Powell to investigate voter fraud and become Trump's one-woman Gestapo. Maloney also told the committee the group had no evidence to support their claims of fraud and basically did not believe in facts. What response did you get when you asked Ms. Powell and her colleagues where's the... A variety of responses based on my current recollection, including, you know, I can't believe you would say something like, you know, things like this, like, what do you mean, where's the evidence? You should know, you know, things like that, or, you know, a disregard, I would say, a general disregard for the importance of actually backing up what you say with facts. Oh, really? A disregard for backing up things you say with facts? That was the point I almost threw something at the TV. Pat, buddy, bro, my man, do you know who you worked for? Do you realize who employed you? The guy, the boss, the big guy? Donald Trump, you worked for Donald Trump, the most serial liar to ever occupy the Oval Office. As Trump was cherry picking his favorite schemes, Cipollone got wind of the meeting and rushed to intervene, bringing other White House lawyers with him. We'll call them Team Normal. Over the next six hours, a huge fight broke out when Team Normal demanded non-existent evidence for Team Crazy's false theories. Insults were hurled and things almost came to blows. But in the end, with no legal avenues left, Team Fucking Crazy decided it was time to go fucking full Banana Republic. At 1.42 a.m. on December 19th, Trump released the tweet that set the world on fire, and I quote, Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. We'll be wild. Immediately, Trump's loyal jackboots, the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and other right-wing extremists recognized the tweet for what it was. A call for an armed rebellion. Trump just told us all to come armed, one tweeted. Fucking A, this is happening. And by now, we all know how it turned out. Some of the online rhetoric turned openly homicidal and white nationalist, such as, why don't we just kill them, every last Democrat, down to the last man, woman, and child? And it's time for the day of the rope. White revolution is the only solution. Last Tuesday's hearing, led by Jamie Raskin of Maryland and Stephanie Murphy of Florida, was so packed with new information, explosive testimony, and panel members posturing that it could have been broken up over several days. But then, the effects might not have been so devastating. Liz Cheney noted that Trump's defense has now pivoted from he thought the election was stolen to he was misled by bad actors like John Eastman, Powell, and the rest of Team Crazy. Cheney reminded us all that Trump is a grown-ass man that should be held responsible for his own actions. I mean, seriously, duh. 
Overall, we came to understand Trump's extraordinary influence over the mob that on his command marched to the Capitol on the 6th, undertook the violent attack, and causing hours of mayhem in which Ashley Babbitt was killed trying to breach the floor of Congress, and Mike Pence was nearly hanged. Dozens of police officers were injured, some fatally, and the mob only dispersed after Trump finally sent them off with a hug. We love you, he said. What a fucking idiot. American carnage. That's Donald Trump's true legacy. His desire to overthrow the people's election and seize the presidency interrupted the counting of electoral college votes for the first time in American history, nearly toppled the constitutional order and brutalized hundreds and hundreds of people. The Watergate break-in was like a Cub Scout meeting compared to this assault on our people and our institutions. Other highlights were a display of encrypted chats between the Friends of Stone, or FOS, and Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes, Proud Boys leader, Enrique Tarrio, and agitator, Ali Alexander. Kelly Meggs, the leader of the Florida Oath Keepers, coordinated Stone's security detail for the 6th, and it appears Stone was guarded by two Oath Keepers who have been since indicted for seditious conspiracy. One thing the committee made crystal clear is that Trump was intent on creating chaos on January 6th. This was his world, his plan, and fucking welcome to it. Katrina Pearson, organizer of the Ellipse Rally, was so worried about the appearance of Stone, Alex Jones, and Ali Alexander as speakers at the rally that she talked to Meadows on January 2nd about them warning a fellow organizer that Trump likes the crazy. Seriously, you think? For our country and for our children, the best is yet to come. Tweets and emails produced by the committee prove that the insurrection was not spontaneous, that the attack on the Capitol had been in the works days before the big event. And remember when Trump told the DOJ just to say the election was corrupt and leave the rest up to him and the Republican Congress members? Well, the committee named some of those congressional co-conspirators who were told to push the big lie, obstruct the certification, and hold the line till the mob got there to shut the whole fucking thing down. Come on, folks, you know them by now. Paul Gosar, Biggs, Louis the fucking moron Gomer, Matt the pedophile Gates, Jim the jackass Jordan, Perry, and the delightful Marjorie Taylor Greene. All fucking assholes who begged for pardons because that's what guilty people do. The committee showed that the former president made several calls to Steve Bannon on the day before the insurrection. After the first call, Bannon said on his podcast, All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's all converging, and now we're on, as they say, the point of attack, right? The point of attack tomorrow. I'll tell you this. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, okay? It's going to be quite extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. That night, Flynn and Stone held mini rallies on Freedom Plaza and made bullshit proclamations about the epic battle between good and evil, God and the ungodly that was about to transpire. Let's be very clear. This is not an election between Republicans and Democrats. This is not a fight between liberals and conservatives. 
This is nothing less than an epic struggle for the future of this country between dark and light. Between the godly and the godless. Between good and evil. And we will win this fight or America would step off into a thousand years of darkness. Here's Johnny. And then on the big day, it was Trump who decided, against counsel's advice, to add incendiary words and phrases into his speech like, fight like hell, Pence better do the right thing, shit, that would definitely whip up the locked and loaded mob and send them to the Capitol ready to kill. Yeah, just for awareness, be advised, there's probably about 300 uh, Proud Boys, they're marching eastbound in this uh, 400 block of um, kind of independence actually on the mall towards the United States Capitol. And if that doesn't all sound like a blast, the committee heard live testimony from a former Oath Keeper, Jason Van Tattenhove, who ran their social media, and Stephen Ayers, who's just your run-of-the-mill Trump supporter that got radicalized online, came to the Capitol, and subsequently burned down his life. We know that you illegally entered the Capitol that afternoon and then left the Capitol area later on. What, what made you decide to leave? Um, basically, when President Trump put his tweet out, we literally left right after that come out. Um, you know, to me, if he would have done that earlier in the day, 1.30, I, I, you know, you know, we wouldn't be in this, maybe we wouldn't be in this bad of a situation or something. Both these men were credible and warned that the danger from extremists is ongoing. But the capper was Ayers who took it upon himself to apologize to the Capitol Police, who have been in attendance during each of the hearings. It was a starkly human moment that reminds us that redemption and perhaps forgiveness is possible. As far as I know, this is the first case of abject fraud and obtaining a coup of the United States of America. So it's going to have to be dealt with. It should be that he can simply be reinstated, that a new inauguration date is set. I could go on and on, but so much else is brewing that I need to make brief mention of. Lindsey Graham, Deputy Barney Fife to Trump's bad Sheriff Taylor, is on the hot seat as he continues to resist testifying in front of a Georgia grand jury that was rejected Tuesday. Lindsay made a call right after the 2020 election to Brad Raffensperger. That sure sounds a whole lot like an attempt to election meddle for Trump. That case against Trump in Georgia for attempting to overturn the 2020 election is so far the furthest along and fingers crossed about to bear fruit. Elon Musk is being sued by Twitter for a billion dollars because he's now trying to back out of his deal to buy the platform. Look, I've said in the past, I never thought he was going to buy it in the first place. And in all fairness, a billion to Elon, it's nothing. Traffic is soul-destroying. It's like acid on the soul. It's horrible. And lastly, we're going to just ignore Steve Bannon's claim that he's ready to testify before the January 6th committee because suddenly Trump waived his executive privilege, which was never a thing because Bannon wasn't employed by the White House at the time. So blah, 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 bunch of bullshit. But Steve's attempt to slither out of his contempt of Congress trial was a bust and we can expect to see him in court next week. These are all good times, folks. Good times. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory. 
right? He's going to declare victory. It, but it, that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. And now for the main event. We welcome back to Maya Culpa, Rick Wilson, longtime Republican political strategist, infamous negative ad maker, and commentator. Since 2015, he's been a leading conservative critic of Donald Trump. His regular column with the Daily Beast is a hilarious and spot-on must-read in the political community. He is also a founding member of the Lincoln Project. Rick's been published in the Washington Post, Politico, The Hill, The London Spectator, Rolling Stones, The New York Daily News, USA Today, The Bulwark, and beyond, and he's constantly called upon for sharp political insights on the national news networks, including CNN and MSNBC. He's also a fan favorite on Real Time with Bill Maher. A 30-year veteran of politics, Rick got his start in the 1988 presidential campaign of George Herbert Walker Bush and since has produced groundbreaking advertising and provided strategic counsel to political campaigns across the nation and around the world. Rick is also the best-selling author. His latest book is Running Against the Devil and his number one New York Times bestseller, Everything Trump touches dies that quintessentially define the Trump era. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Rick, the real question is, is Trump on his way out? You guys talk about it a lot on Lincoln Project, on your uh, Twitter, on all of your social media. Is the guy finally out? You know, I still don't think he's out, Michael. I still think, you know, you've seen it more than almost anybody. The guy's always got another trick up his sleeve. And, and, you know, a lot of Republicans in D.C. would like him to be out and like him to be done. But a lot of Republicans in the base are still very much on board with Donald Trump. And it's going to be if, if he starts to, to show um, the kind of ability to command that base uh, for the 24 primary that he showed in 2016 and 2020, you know, I, can't, I you can't count him out yet. We'd like him to be counted out, but I, I, I am. I've got too much scar tissue now to say, oh, it's all done. It's over. Interesting. Because, look, I think it's a fair assessment to say that Trump's popularity is waning. Um, For sure. I saw in a recent poll, as an example, if in fact that there was going to be a Republican nomination today, Ron DeSantis Mm -hmm. beats him out. We're also seeing more and more individuals in the various... Uh, midterm election states pulling away from Trump, not Trumpism, but from Trump himself. Right. And so my biggest, my big, my belief, and you're right, because I probably know him better than anyone. My belief is that everything that he's doing now, this bullshit narrative about his popularity and, you know, he's going to be now making potentially an announcement. That way he doesn't get himself in trouble uh, for opening up a exploratory committee and so on. It's all about the money. He realizes that the guy fucked over his own people for 250 million big ones. 250 million. So why would he stop? It's four times what he was earning at The Apprentice. 
and doing sure and doing less work. I mean, you know, I shouldn't say less work. He's doing a lot of work. Interestingly enough, I heard someone say this the other day, and I think it's worth repeating. Trump works very hard to accomplish nothing, right? <laughs> it's, it's a great line. But I believe, right. I believe that he's on his way out. I believe that he will still maintain that stronghold over that 24%, give or take, of these yeah. MAGA fools that are following him. But I do really believe Trump is on his way out. You know, Michael, here's the thing. It may be he may not even have the majority of the party anymore, um, although I think he but but he's got enough to win to win a presidential sweep of primaries. You only need to win 30 percent of the vote, 25 percent of the vote in these various states. And you're and you're golden, especially because although Ron DeSantis is the hot flavor right now, I promise you, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. Tom Cotton, mm -hmm. all these other assholes are out there. They're, they're picking out curtains in the White House in their head already. They're like deciding, you know, you know, how to redecorate. They've already decided they're all going to Nikki Haley, Christy Nome, all these people. So if you end up dividing the vote up over five, six, seven other candidates mm -hmm. and Trump sweeps up 25 percent, he's golden. Um, and I do think you're right. I mean, this does come down to the money. Best, best, best fundraising, you know, in the world, except for Trump is Ron DeSantis right now. Trump has still got 250 plus in the bank from all of the, the, the fundraising he's been doing since the, since the, the, the save the steel scandal, you know, he's got, he's been, he's grinding. He's got the peerless email list for Republican donors. Um, and so really, I, you know, I think the thing that may put him out worse in some ways is not the money because he likes to make the money. Mm -hmm. He still wants to, to raise this money. I think in some ways it's like this slow, like this slow moving divorce from the rest of the party. The ones that were scared of him, you know, it used to be a hundred percent of Republicans would never say a word about it, but now you've got Doug Ducey in Arizona. Yeah. You've got Raffensperger and Kemp in Georgia. You're increasingly seeing some distance and look, these Republicans are not stupid. They know to win their primaries, they have to play the whole game still. But, you know, look at the, there was a before and after of Dr. Oz's website in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I before saw it. it was Trump on the front page, Trump this, Trump that, MAGA this, MAGA that. And now it's like Oz for Pennsylvania. Nothing about Trump, nothing about MAGA. So this idea that you that you that that base is persistent, they are persistent. They and enough of them are still with him. But look, I think there's a part of him that's also, you know, Trump has managed to snake his way out of every legal and personal obligation practically he's ever made. And and I do think we're seeing some 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 fracturing around the edges of that, you know, and, and there's some some diminishment of his ability to keep that omerta over his staff and everything else. Yeah, well, look, you're not wrong about that. It, what I do find disconcerting to the Democratic Party is the fact that yeah. Trump, who, as I stated before, is the busiest guy accomplishing nothing, his favorability ratings are better than Biden's. And you and I talk about this all the time on this podcast yeah. and yeah. just privately. When we say that the Democrats, that we as a group have terrible messaging, 
But one of the nice things that we're finding out is, thank goodness to this January 6th hearings, thank goodness to people like, um, you know, um, Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney and the Mm -hmm. whole group of them that are there putting in the work from Adam Schiff to Kinzinger and so on. What we're finding is what was really going on inside the White House. And we were fortunate enough to have Cassidy Hutchinson almost as the narrator of all of these emails. I mean, we're talking about millions of them. Emails, text messages, voice recordings, um, documents that they took, handwritten notes. She was this wonderful narrator of all of the events. Right. We could have easily read them, which we did. We all thought Mark Meadows is fucking dead. He's doomed. They take a look and see what he said here, what he did there. You have these, um, there's this mother daughter, um, Kramer, you know, that purchased these burner phones and, and so on. And then you had Jennifer Lawrence, not the actress, Jennifer Lawrence and her boyfriend, Dustin. Um, I forget his last name. Uh, yeah, that, that they were the ones that, had the license for the ellipse rally that was hijacked Mm -hmm. by Eric and Laura Trump and ultimately turned into a march, which it did not have the permit for. And you put all of this together. And I believe that Republicans, especially the, we'll call them the Republican independents, the ones that voted Republican, but they're really independent. I believe that they're watching these hearings and like everybody else are absolutely disgusted with the behavior of Trump and family and company. I mean, look, you know, I loved I loved the argument by Kushner. Hey, I wasn't involved with this. I was busy giving out pardons. Yeah, yeah. he was busy yeah. collecting the cash. That's a right on on pardons. <laughs> it's a great line. It's like I didn't burn down the house, but I did kill the dog. Right. You know. Um, but Michael, I mean, I think she, I think the window Cassidy Hutchinson in particular opened into some of the behavior of Trump himself shocked people like the out of control nature of it and and i think there were a lot of americans who were like who, who were like holy shit and i think the real number one reason you know that was a powerful message that got through is just how much time fox suddenly decided to spend trying to burn down cassidy hutchison or how much time that trump spent on his social media platform attempting to right. discredit her you know by, right. And I, I never knew her. By the way, I never knew his little chubby fingers can move that fast to put out that many, you know, um, you know, tweets, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I don't know. If I, don't, I don't know what they, I don't know what Scavino taking dictation or what. But he uh, he he definitely it rattled him. That testimony rattled him. And I think it's because it made him seem out of control mentally and personally. And 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 it made. And it made it even more clear just how much Meadows, as the senior managerial person in the White House chain, knew and how much he was dedicated to essentially letting Trump do what he wanted to do, legality or constitutionality aside. And, and, and you know, and the, the group of lawyers around, around uh, Trump at the time, it also gave us some insight into that, that collection of scales. But I mean, that th- this whole thing, the hearings have been effective because we, we know they've been effective for two reasons. One, we see what Trump and his team are doing and they're losing their minds. 
And the other reason we know they're effective is that Fox had to start covering them. They said initially, we're not going to cover this. It's a, just a witch hunt. Well, now they're covering it, you know, full time because they recognize they've got to try to control the narrative. And the narrative so far has been terrible for Trump. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. But one of the reasons, and I know this because, again, I sat next to this orange-crusted, bloviated fool for over a decade, is because Cassidy Hutchinson, a 25-year-old, yep. made him look weak. And there's nothing to yep. Donald Trump worse than making him look weak. Because everything with him is about the projection of strength, including all of these yep. rioters going in there with bats, batons, you know, bear spray, you know, military, paramilitary yep. gear, all that made him, you know, in his mind, strong. They're all waving around the Trump 2020 banner, right? And, you know, and, yep. uh, MAGA banners and all that. He, he believed that that made him look strong. Truth be told, he's yep. basically a mental midget uh, who, unfortunately, has some real serious uh, narcissistic sociopathic disorders. That That's the for fact sure. that this young lady, articulate as can be, charming on camera, is turning around Absolutely. and emasculating this individual, this former yep. president, this former Ten billion dollar man, right? She emasculated right. him by basically describing him as a petulant child sitting in the back yeah, seat, having a temper tantrum, having a temper tantrum, trying to grab it. I mean, that's why they have car seats, right? Donald should have been put into a an adult car seat and strapped down. I mean, you know, that's just the way <laughs> that's just the way I see it, but. <laughs> that would be a great video for you guys to put up, right? And you watch him trying you know, to sit there. And then what you, you know, do is you feed him. You feed him a burger and some ice cream. You know, you feed him a burger and ice cream, and then he'll shut up. You know, you give him his bottle, <laughs> right, with a vanilla milkshake or something. Donald so, Trump needs his binky. <laughs> that, that's for sure, right? So look, look, let me ask you this, Rick. Trump's star, as we were just saying, may be waning. Even the Washington Examiner is claiming that, I'm going to mm -hmm. quote here, Trump is unfit for office. And I know you have some thoughts about rising MAGA putts Ron DeSantis, right? This right. fascist dictator in the making. And then you said in The Guardian that, and I'm going to quote, you've heard his people are practically picking out curtains for the White House, as you described they before. Are. He's making Trump nervous. Now, that I can tell you for sure. But nationwide... Is he appealing enough to the average Republican, whoever the fuck that these people are, right, to get the nomination? I mean, for Republicans right that now, feel, yeah. I mean, let me ask you this, for Republicans that feel burned by Trump, is he just honestly more of the same, right, just younger and meaner, and as I've always referred to him as the Donald Trump 2.0? You know, uh, here's the thing about DeSantis. Right now, he's winning a primary basically consisting of D.C. political consultants and insiders. That's why he's got so much press right now, is they're all talking about Ron DeSantis. I live down here in Tallahassee, Florida, and the D.C. consultants that are flying down here every week, Delta might as well just set up a shuttle because they're all flying down there to kiss his ass and say, let me work for you. Great one. Um, and, and a lot of the D.C. media types, the conservative media types are in the same thing. They want to be rid of Trump and do something different. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that, that they are missing the fact that Trump basically has been very successful in picking people in the primaries this year 
And they're going to end up with, you know, we love Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis will one day, you know, once he gets in the race for real, once he goes to Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina, I think then Trump truly unleashes on him and the battle is really on. Now, one thing about Ron DeSantis, this is not, say what you will about Donald Trump. He can be personally charming. Yes, he can. He can be, he can be incredibly entertaining. Ron DeSantis is not personally charming. He does not like people. He does not look people in the eye when he talks to them one-on-one. I've had this, I've heard this from major donors who say, I had a 10-minute conversation. He never looked me in the eye. He was mm-hmm. looking at the floor, the wall, the ceiling, everywhere else but me. Um, he has got a strange personal affect, and he's got a whiny voice. And there are a lot of weird things about this in my mind that say, you know, this guy, this guy doesn't have um, he doesn't have a lot of the charisma that a presidential candidate needs at the end of the day. Well, look, and you charisma know, matters. Yeah, it definitely does, Rick. But I will tell you, he is the he is the talk of the town right now. He is the oh, he's the GOP, hot flavor. Yeah. He is the hot flavor. He's no the GOP. He's the GOP darling right now. And you know, the Hill actually reported that you know, and this is going to fucking piss Trump off beyond all belief. Because remember, as I said at the very inception of our conversation, yeah. for Trump, this is all about the money. All right? Sure. Don't ever sure. say the most dangerous place on the planet is between, <laughs> between Donald Trump, Trump and, and his supporters' money. All right? That's the most dangerous place to be. And this is where he and DeSantis are going to really go head to head. All right? And DeSantis yeah. has never fought in the, he thinks he's the tough guy. Oh, I know exactly what I will say to Trump. No, you don't. Because Trump plays in the mud that's so deep down, dirty, dumpster mud that DeSantis yep. doesn't even know how to get there yet. Will he? I, yeah. I he'll completely get his, agree with He'll that. get his one or two zingers in there. But for every one or two zinger, Trump is going to say shit that's going to blow people's mind. So why, is, why do I say this? Because DeSantis is scheduled to travel, supposedly, to Utah this week. That's right. Right, supposedly on July 18th, yep. right? Um, he's supposed yep. to be there. Now, nobody knows who's hosting, and nobody knows who the exact donors are, but it is believed that this is the first time he's traveling out of his state to raise money, which would ostensibly benefit his 2022 um, you know, re-election yep. campaign and, of course— raising chatter about his future political aspirations. And, mm-hmm. and as I said before, you know, they're going to try to get the country's wealthiest Republican political donors, you know, to show up to this thing. And that's going to be the straw that breaks Trump's back because every dollar he it, sees it, going into DeSantis's coffers, yep. he thinks should have gone to him. And the way that he set up his pack. 90% of it is at his complete discretion. In, in essence, you're Correct. giving Donald 90 cents for every dollar that you donate to him personally. Uh, one thing I'm trying to do is to make sure that we have a, a robust fight between DeSantis and Trump. I want them to batter the shit out of each other before 2024. I want, to, I want it to be ugly as shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we put out, Lincoln Project put out an ad yesterday that we're putting into Bedminster you know, because I know how to, I always know how to find him. And I always know what, what you know, we put it into Bedminster, run it on the golf channel in the club, and he's going to see it. And run it on Fox, he's going to see it. So we put it on an ad yesterday that said essentially, hey, Donald, you know, 
Ron DeSantis has taken everything away from you now. Your followers, your money, your you, you know, the Fox News loves him more. And I want to churn that battle between these two guys because I think it's important that for, for the Democrats to not just let either one of these guys run into the into the nomination in 2024. Yeah, mm-hmm. the other guys are less likely to make it through all the bullshit. Um, uh, you know, Cruz and Hawley and Co- they all want to be president, but you know, I want to be you know seven feet tall and 175 pounds. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, look, it's again. I also don't believe that it's necessary because your ads are some of the best I've ever seen. Uh, they're they're humorous. They are poignant and they're truthful. I don't believe that you actually yeah. have to spend the money in order to run it on television and so on. Um, I believe that the targeted um, use of the Internet, rest assured, that's where Trump gets yeah. his information from. And it's not just what he sees on his because he doesn't really see anything. It's all of the people that are around him. So if your ad goes viral, they're seeing it and they are obligated. I want to say this again to you. They are obligated to bring it to them, uh, to Donald. So So he he would be very angry if they didn't if they didn't say, hey, Donald, you may not like this, but we got to show you this thing they're doing. Right. Right. Because somebody could ask him a question about it. And if he didn't know about it, that would then anger him. And he would then go after Scavino or others who are his social media gurus, Jared or Brad Parscale or whoever else is fucking working for this lunatic. Right. But that's exactly what. So if we if we target just the Internet and social media platforms. Rest assured, we digitally target these things too. Like if you've got a cell phone on, you know, in, a, in about a mile radius of Trump right now, mm-hmm. our digital media will be hitting you. You'll you'll be seeing our stuff, um, you know, across a bunch of different platforms: YouTube, pre-rolls, interstitial, all sorts of places. So we we yeah, that that's that's really good counsel, and it's something that we've. We've done for a while in terms of what we call the audience of one, but it's really the audience of 30 the people that are around him that are that are feeding him, you know, his daily news diet, et cetera. Yeah, you know, there are people that he follows. You know, he used to follow me uh, on Twitter. Now that he doesn't have a Twitter account, that's uh, out the door. However, I already know that there are certain individuals within his inner circle that follow all of my social media platforms. They want to know what it is that I sure. say. They want to know. And if, in fact, that they don't, that's okay. I'm on MSNBC, CNN, you know, m- making statements to the New York Times, to the Hill, to yeah. the Washington Post, whoever. And he sees all of that. Again, his day in the White House is not too dissimilar to the way it was at the Trump Organization. People cutting out and ripping out Cost newspaper. Right. And emails yep. and text messages and whatever anybody gives to you that is about him that you think he would be concerned with, you would print it and you would put it in his inbox for him to take a look. And rest yep. assured, Lincoln Project's ads are so impactful that he sees every single one of them. Now, that brings me to the point that, you know, you guys believe that you, um, you know, that you 
have an understanding um, about what's going on, the key to Donald's head, so to speak, right? And I would say uh, on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the highest, maybe you guys are around a seven and a half to an eight, right? I know how to get under Trump's skin. Right. Of course. But, but it's a it's a totally different way than you're doing that. Now, we also just spoke about some head to head shootout between Trump and Ron DeSantis uh, for the um, nomination for the Republican nomination. But let me ask you this. What about Liz Cheney? Do you think that she stands any chance to get on the ticket or is she sort of persona non grata now amongst Republican voters? Yeah, there, there's, uh, I, you know. I worked for her dad when he was Secretary of Defense. Uh, I admire what she's been doing in this in this operation on the one six operation tremendously. Um, but the Republican Party has changed so much that that the irony is that people who tried to invade the Capitol violently are seen as heroes, and she's seen as the villain. Amazing. So I don't I don't think that there's a space in a Republican Party uh, primary. For the, where Liz Cheney could survive it. Um, you know, she is a center-right conservative. And and unfortunately, the only people in the Republican Party of today are MAGA conservatives. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest are either, are either termed out or checked out or in very safe seats. Yeah, look, I feel bad because... She, to me, is exactly, if you listen to her speak at the January 6th hearings, you know, you're like, this is like the lady with the iron knickers, right? This is Margaret Thatcher. I mean, she really is. She has that Margaret Thatcher-esque type of delivery. And while it could be mean, it's not. It's just factual. And I think as a result Correct. of Liz Cheney, as a result of Adam Kinzinger, as a result of, um, you know, of all of the members of the committee, I do truly believe that this is a historical um, document that will ultimately be created at the at the end. Will it be Absolutely. the, you know, end all of Donald Trump, the nail in his coffin? Uh I personally don't think so. I think it's a problem for a lot of other people like Giuliani, like Laura Trump, Eric Trump, Kushner, um, Ivanka, possibly. I believe Mark Meadows, Dan Scavino. I think that there's a whole slew. Um, Jim Jordan, right? Matt Gates. I think there's a whole slew of people who are going to see some very serious problems as a result because their information, what Cassidy was talking about, is all documented text messages, emails. Yep. When they went and they raided now uh, Eastman, uh, you know, and they and they took uh, his phones, and then they took the the other guy's um, phones. They now have even more information yeah. that they're going to go through. And this these communications are it's like the um, it's like the Vulcan death touch to these people. And I warn them all. Right. You may remember when I stood before the House Oversight Committee. And I said to Jim no Jordan, that fucking dummy that he is, that weasel. Right? weasel, I said to him, I know what you're doing. It's not funny. Right. I know the playbook that you're trying to run because I wrote it. So right. look at what happened to me. Rest assured, what happened to me can happen to any one of you. And it's happening to virtually every one of them. Louis Gohmert, another fucking goofball. 
right? I mean, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, all that, of them, that fucking guy. all of them. And I said this, and I said it. I warned them, but then again, you know, why take it from me? What did I right? What did I lie about? The number of times, right. what, did, what did you know? Except everything, right? And, <laughs> and then the number of times that I talked talk to Donald Trump about a failed real estate project, or I didn't come clean right away and say that Donald had an affair with Stormy Daniels, to which I was directed um, to pay one hundred thirty thousand for his up. benefit. Come on. That, that's your big lies, all right? That's the one that should keep me out of being able to testify before, let's say, the grand jury or, um, or uh, as a witness, even in the January 6th hearings. You really want to know what's going on in his head? I'll walk you through it. And because everything that's going on in this January 6th hearing is so eerily similar to the things that I talked about when we were um, before the House Oversight Committee and these five other um, agencies that I ended up testifying to. But I want to ask you this, Rick, before we move on. I heard an interview with you where you talked about Democrats not having the right Mm -hmm. mindset to get elected because unlike Republicans who want to win at all costs, we noodle around and roll over. But if you could give Democrats a strategy for November, what would it be? And- how do we get the Democrats all on the same page and on the same page and focused on winning? Because that's what we need to do. This is a war over politics and personality and character of the character of America you want versus specific policy proposals. Let me tell you, Republicans have given the Democrats a tremendous gift. They have nominated a bunch of the weirdest, crankiest, most bizarre off-kilter, strange motherfuckers I've ever seen in politics. This is what I call the mutant parade. Democrats have a chance to run against what those people represent, which is not policy, but it's craziness. It's Trump worship and insane conspiracy shit. That's a great weapon. You are not going to win this race by arguing with voters about climate change plans or prescription drug coverage or even, even abortion or gun control. Those may move things at the margins, but they're not going to—they're not going to give the big, messy suburban voter somewhere to go. You've got to make those suburban voters say, "Am I with the proud boy, oath keeper, weirdo, or am I with America? Am I with the people that you know invaded the Capitol, screaming and yelling, and and all the corruption and the bullshit of Trump world, or am I with you know this Democratic candidate?" And you—you you don't even have to. Get your people. Democrats also don't have to make their targeted voters into hard progressives. They just need to move them a little bit. Tell them it's okay to be in the middle. Don't say, "All right, you, I know you're a soft Republican voter, but now you have to be like AOC." You don't say that to them. You move them. You nudge them. You don't try to to slam them over all the way to the left. You just nudge them, especially because these key races in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona. These key races are in much more moderate states. So get out of the policy ditch, fight against the weirdness, and, 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 and fight against the threats to individual liberty that are coming down the pike. It's a winning strategy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. However, we have to also add uh, the Supreme Court to the um, sure. Trump mutant team of people that are there promoting this this Trump ideology, right? This, this Trumpism. Yep. You know, I personally believe, and I generally don't like to talk about my personal beliefs. I try to back everything up on this program with facts and then 
give my opinion on the facts, but not my personal beliefs. I do believe, though, I'm going to break my own rule, that gen Generation X, Y, and Z, women all throughout this country, other than the diehard um, MAGA morons that are out there that, you know, don't, right. that only care about their religious beliefs and why it is that they will not get an abortion. And I'm all good with that. I know many women, Christian, real Christian faith followers, sure. and I'm all for that. Listen, anybody that follows religion is good, right? That's my, that's my opinion. It's, it's all good. But when your belief system now is designed to impose upon my belief system, Right. That's a problem. And we now have these three individuals on the Supreme Court, along with Alito and Clarence Thomas, and we are going to see a whole slew of liberties being taken away day in and day out. And I believe, yep. I believe that this is where Jamie Harrison, the DNC, Lincoln Project, Midas Touch, Democracy Now!, you know, Maya Culpa, anybody who has a real platform out there needs to be hammering this day in and day out, which is the Trump methodology, right? Continue, continue, continue to say it everywhere that you go. Every time you put out a message, it's the same thing. You care about your rights? You care about the Constitution? Republicans don't. And here's why. Right. And then you go to the Roe versus Wade, the recent Roe versus Wade decision, where NPR PBS put out a Marist poll. Two thirds of this country, yeah, it's two thirds of this country do not support overturning Roe v. Wade. No problem. Let's make that the position for the midterm elections. Are you or are you not for Roe v. Wade? Are you or are you not for, if you're a governor, for passing some sort of mandate that would basically make the Supreme Court decision ineffective, right? Are you or are you not? If you, know, you are not, bye-bye, motherfucker. Have a nice day, all right? There, there is a, there is a, I think there's this, what I call an opportunity space, frankly, because look, two American presidents defined what this country felt about abortion perfectly. George Herbert Walker Bush promoted what we call the Bush Rule, uh, rape, incest, and life of the mother should always be exceptions to state abortion laws. And Bill Clinton said he th th thinks that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Those two things are right where America's head was at and is at. Now, if you're pro-life, and look, I come from the sort of Catholic tradition of, 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 of thinking that, that life is sacred. Now, but I come from a political tradition that government should say the fuck out of my business. And it is not my business as a citizen or in government to tell people what medical procedures they can choose, even if I don't like them, even if I don't morally think they're great. I, I do understand the world. And I think there are an awful lot of people who are what I call soft pro-life, but they are anti having the government snitch on women's like fertility monitoring apps and their Google searches and their travel records to make sure they're not trying to get an abortion. I mean, I, that's a world, I don't think if you're a conservative, you should not want to live in that world. Rick, Rick, and I think you're Rick, right. they're talking. Those people who can't make a simple declarative, I think people should be individually free to make their decisions. If they can't, if they can't do that, they're not conservatives. They're, they're, they're 
you know, they're, they're, they're Christian extremists at the, in the best case, and they're freaking weirdos in the worst case. Weirdos? I read an article, and I don't know if it's true or not, because I don't want to be like Fox News or Tucker Carlson or Hannity, and I don't want to be passing around misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, but I did read this article, and I don't know if it's true, that they are now training dogs to sniff women who are pregnant, a fertility dog, so to speak. And these dogs will be at airports and at train stations to ensure that the citizen of that state does not leave to go to another state using mass transit in order to get an abortion. I mean, how far, how far is crazy going to go? I have to tell you, I haven't seen that article, but it, nothing nothing would shock me about that. I talked to a, a guy the other day who had some knowledge of what the Florida legislature is planning. They're planning to get the data from apps on women so they can match up their fertility and say, okay, well, you, you stopped having a period at this point, therefore you were pregnant after this date. And their geo and their geolocated information from their phones, so they can say, "Okay, we think you were pregnant. We think you were near Planned Parenthood." And will that bill pass? Who the hell knows? But this day and age, you can't take any chances with your freedoms. And so, you know, it's important to remember there are people in this country, and they and I break pro-life people into two categories: what I call the soft pro-lifers who have a genuine, non-malicious, non-misogynistic reverence for life and who see abortion as a terrible, a terrible thing because mm-hmm. of that. And I see the other part of it, the activist abortion folks, they are trying to turn the country's clock way, way back. They do not believe women belong in the workplace. They believe men should have more agency over their wives' decisions about their fertility and their and their pregnancies. And those people should scare the living shit out of folks. Because <laughs> there's another group that does that, too. They're called the Taliban. Yeah. You know, Rick, what's interesting, if you Google fertility sniffing dogs, what pops up is dogs with their amazing noses can pick up on these hormonal changes even before a pregnancy test does. And researchers have found that when a female ovulates, change in hormone levels can attract dogs. For instance, researchers realized dogs tended to sniff private areas more around ovulation. This is what they this is what that article was talking about. Can you possibly imagine as a woman you're standing uh, sadly, there? I can Im- sadly I can imagine the kind of men who would say, This is a great idea. This is Gilead. This is exactly Gilead walking around with these German shepherds and so on. And, you know, with the dog burying their nose in the in their, you know, the the woman's crotch in order to see whether or not she's ovulating. And if so, they take your name and your ID down to make sure that nothing that you're still pregnant when you come back. I don't know. You know, if this doesn't scare the shit, if Rick, if this doesn't scare the shit enough out of people to get out there and vote, then I, I don't know what will. Right, right. If, if you're not motivated now, what the fuck do you need? You know, in 2020, Lincoln Project, we produced an ad that we did not run because at the time we thought it was too much. It was the woman in the car with her daughter. We later gave the ad to Midas Touch and the Midas guys ran with it, which is, you know, great. We did. We were we 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 thought it was too much. And we had a bunch of other ads in the stack in that last, I don't know, 10 days of the campaign. 
So I hear you guys do it. Run with it. Go crazy. Now I look back and think that wasn't too much. That was barely scratching the goddamn surface. Yep. I mean, what people want to do now, Greg Abbott, let's be real. Greg Abbott in Texas has set up a system under Senate Bill 8 in Texas where people have a financial incentive to snitch on women who try to get an abortion. I don't want to live in that world. That's not a country with free individual liberty uh, and a constitutional basis and uh, respect for individual rights. That's crazy town. Yeah, that's Gilead. So let, 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 me, let me then move on and ask you this then, Rick. Back onto the subject of the January 6th investigation. Sure. How do you think that the committee has done so far? I, th- I mean, I thought that the gamble of the surprise interview with Cassidy Hutchinson obviously really paid off. I wasn't sure where it was Huge. going to go, but I do truly believe that it paid off. I don't think that it's the nail in Trump's I do coffin, too. but I Michael, do. I, yeah, I, I do too, Michael. And I think, I think, look, I had my doubts and concerns that the committee was going to pull this off. I was public about them. Um, but I will say this, they understood that you, and, and I think this may be the other reason Trump has been so bothered by the committee. They understood you had to produce a great television show for America. Hmm. Right. You had to produce a spectacle for them to see and, and learn from. And I think it's been so brilliantly produced and the, and the messaging from Chairman Thompson and from Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and, you know, and everybody else on that committee, they have been so steady and 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 calm and not over the top but they've been rolling out fat you know the the hotter the fact the calmer the tone is how you should always do politics you know the the more exciting the, the information is the more steady you should sound that's how i mean when i do that that in ads the more crazy the charge is you know it's like you'll, you'll hear it's like vinnie got 12 speeding tickets and and that's it sounds over the top <laughs> but you know, then he killed his wife. It's more chilling the other way around. The committee has had this, I think, powerful control over its message that has really, really gone well. I'm, I'm, and America keeps tuning in by the millions and millions every time they're on. Right. So then let me ask you this as a follow up Cipollone, Cipollone is significant. Yep. And his name, of course, came out from Cassidy. All right. Next, yep. they're going to be able to connect Trump to both the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. They have all of that documentation, all right? That's what it looks like. Now, with so many revelations, is it possible that the ramifications of January 6th are breaking through to these conservative voters? And further to that, how do the Democrats, how do we capitalize on this moment, freshen the minds of voters? Let's bring them in. Let's turn around and wrap our arms around them and tell you, we cannot, as a country, our democracy cannot afford another four years of this guy, of this stupidity, or anybody that believes in Trumpism. Yeah, look, I, I do think, well, I know, I know for one thing, the 1-6 the committee hearings and the Dobbs decision on Roe have had a meaningful impact on the generic ballot politically, and it's changed the, the chemistry of a lot of races around mm-hmm. the country. And I do think there are Republicans who are this, you know, the softer Republicans, the Lincoln Project voter targets that we targeted very effectively in 2020, who are watching this and just saying, oh, I did the right thing by staying not saying no. I did the right thing by by staying away from Trump. And and I think you will find that those people are both out there 
And I think they're important uh, and will be important in the 2022 and 2024 election because there is a part of Trump's unacceptability that, you know, Tim Miller just wrote a great book uh, about Republicans like giving into Trump. And a lot of them for a while were like, I'm just going to play the game. It'll be fun. I'll deal with it how I deal with it. And now a lot of those people, they understand the game is ultimately destructive, including to them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Lindsey Graham is not out of the woods here on one six and on and on this election overturning strategy. There are a lot of these people who thought that they were golden. I mean, look, Jeff Clark thought he was going to be attorney general of the United States. Yeah. And he got fucked because, you know, Trump was basically completely careening out of all control. And so Cipollone testifying, I think, is a valuable thing, even though it's going to be just a transcript testimony. It will end up giving us more knowledge of what's going on in the White House in those critical right. days. Of course, because the topic that they want to discuss with him is his role in trying to prevent Trump from deploying the Justice yep. Department, right, to illegally overturn the 2020 election. Well, and, but, and look, I have a personal interest in this now. Um, and, and Reed Galen and Stu Stevens and I from Lincoln have a personal interest in this now. Because we have learned, um, because of a FOIA to the Justice Department, that Mark Meadows asked Bill Barr, he, he gave Bill Barr a dossier on the Lincoln Project to go after us. Um, we learned this on Friday, late Friday afternoon, and we've been working on it to, to get more information about it. But these guys were willing to use any government power to go after their enemies and to go after Americans who opposed him in any way. And, and God knows you've been to this rodeo more when than anybody. I watched the other day as they were talking about the IRS being sicked on McCabe and Comey. Yep. Hello, you think that they didn't do yep. that to me? I'm a guy who has, follow me on this, and this was in my sentencing memo, so it's not I'm making it up years after. I've already right. done my time. I'm done, right? Other than the supervised right. release, which I have now put in an application to terminate the supervised release. I owe no money to anyone, to the government or anything. However, they went after me in a way that has never been seen before. I am a taxpayer for 30 years. I have never filed until 2017 when all this was happening. I've never filed a late tax return. I've never, I've never asked mm-hmm. for an extension. I've never had an overseas business or an overseas nominee. I've never had an overseas right. bank account. I've never had a fake wire transfer like what Manafort did with his, you know, with his, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, with that jacket, right. that the stupid jacket. All right? Um, right. I never had any of these things. Yet, I was given 48 hours. And the IRS, when I said, when I first found that out, I'll have my accountants go ahead and prepare, um, you know, um, returns, proper returns, amended returns, to which I received from a woman named Andrea Griswold over at the Southern District of New York. If you try to do that, your returns will be even more scrutinized and we will find more issues to deal with that will financially hurt you even more. Well, you know, is. Where, why is the inspector general not looking into this? This all goes back to Bill Barr. So that fat fuck doesn't get the right to sit there smug like a fucking putz in a, in a, in a sofa. He does not get to sit there, turn around and say, right. oh, I call bullshit on Donald. Oh, everybody forgive me, right? Allow me to come back into pr- public, you know, and into uh, polite society. Yeah. Uh-huh. He does not get that right. No, no, not in the slightest. And. 
and, and look, I think that the the abuse of power is something that Americans have not seen in a presidency at this level in a very, very long time. The sort of stuff that Bill Clinton used to do was small ball compared to all this. This is the big show. This is the real thing. And, and I think it is shocking that, that no one has yet understood the scope of these things in a, in a way that it, that, that shows the American people what was going on, like the one six committee. And that's why they're so uh, valuable. And that's why I think the final hearings will continue to be valuable as it outlines, you know, the desperation, the links to the proud boys, the abuse of power, all these things. I think they're going to wrap it up in a pretty neat bow. Well, let's hope so. So then let me ask you this then, Rick. Last election cycle, the Lincoln Project was really active in getting folks out to keep the vote yep. safe. What's your plan for November? Because we know that the GOP sure. is already gearing up to steal elections from the inside. They now have people taking over election boards. And look, let's face it. Right. Voters' rights are under attack. So how do we make Everywhere. sure that 2020 doesn't happen again, this time successfully for the Trumps and the Trump 2.0s? Sure. Well, we're doing our political media messaging and activism in a bunch of key swing states um, and in about a dozen congressional districts below that. Um, but we're working on governors and U.S. Senate races in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Arizona. Um, we're working on congressional races and scattering across the country. We've got a list out on the website. But we've also built this thing called the Union, where we have over 75,000 volunteers now who are active in these key states. And they're um, getting training to go be election observers. The, there are uh, 1,180 lawyers signed up at the Union who are going to be there um, on Election Day helping to make sure we file motions if the, if the Republicans are trying to shut down vote counts early or steal the elections. So, but it, it's going to require everybody to get out there and really push up against the, the lever because this thing is going to be a, a very consequential election. If the Republicans take the House and the Senate, day one, the minute that happens, they're going to start impeaching Joe Biden, going after Hunter's laptop, all the crazy bullshit that Trump always talks about. And and if they have the Senate, they will block every single thing. Joe Biden will be dead in the water. And that will be the predicate for Trump to roll in and go, I can fix it. Mm -hmm. So it's an incredibly important election. Trust me. And at the state level, trust me, quite, frank state are, quite frankly, yeah. Rick, I can fix it. All right. Everybody knows it. You know it. I know it. And he's going to end up. It'll be all 20. It'll be I, 2016 no again. This, but I'm, I alone can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Continue. You were saying. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's. And these secretary of states races are absolutely crucial in these key states. Um, and those are crucial because in some states, they've already promised, you know, that they'll just count the vote for Trump no matter what. OK, so look. And it, that, that, that is a bad world to live in. OK, so I can't get off this thing with the IRS just yet because I've been brewing over this since I started watching sure. it and I started reading about it. Right. As I wrote into my sentencing memo that Judge Pauly just decided to ignore, prosecutors didn't give two shits. It was all about nailing Michael Cohen. Why? My belief, and which is what my lawsuit is about, Michael Cohen versus United States yep. government, Bill Barr, Donald Trump, Michael Carvajal, BOP, DOJ, the whole bit. 
What is that really about? It's about the fact that Trump ran this whole scam. And that's really what it was. It was to, it was to punish his... It was to punish people he doesn't like. Why? So that it sends a message to everybody else. Step in line right. or you're going to prison, right? Now, yep. you, you tweeted... You tweeted on this point that, and I'm going to quote, the news that James Comey and Andrew McCabe mysteriously got the worst level of IRS audit isn't surprising on one level. Authoritarians always turn the power of the state against their enemies. So do you think that these sorts of revelations turn conservatives against Trumpism, authoritarianism, whatever the hell you want to call it? But at the end of the day, it's just lawlessness. most Republicans... Yeah, look, look, you know, when Hitler was rising to power, German Chancellor Franz von Papen said, yeah, I don't like him, but it's either him or the communists. And the argument now is like, oh, it's either him or the communists. And it, it is it is a dangerous mental framework to live in. But I think most Republicans do live in that where they don't care what Trump did or does. They may be they may be privately horrified by it, but it's not going to change their publicly facing political positions. Which is bad, bad situation for the country. It's democracy in peril. I mean, again, not not to sit here and discuss my case. You could read it online. It's under the Petrillo sentencing memo. I've never been audited in my entire life during the five right. years where it was a one point three nine million uh, that Jeffrey Getzel, my former accountant, just fucking missed. It was two hundred and sixty thousand a year in missed tax. Every dollar went into Capital One Bank, which was located at the base of the building I lived in. I paid millions in taxes over that same period right. of time. How is it that Judge Pauly could even turn around and make the argument that this was a sophisticated tax evasion scheme? At, I gave every <laughs> single bank document in a tabulated three-ring book to my accountant, he just missed it. And then they give him some sort of an right. immunity to go before a grand jury and to lie about me and to testify. I can't, I'm so impressed that you were able to get your FOIA documents. Do you know, I'm trying now for two years to get FOIA documents. Originally, I was supposed to be given expedited oh, assistance. We, we haven't gotten our, no, these weren't ours. These came from the 1-6 committee. Oh, I see. Well, I wish the one six yeah. committee. So, I wish somebody would actually look into yeah. into my case because not because it's me, but because it shows the level of corruption of Donald Trump and his administration right. from the top down. The Bill Barr didn't do this without Donald Trump right. telling the him. Adam Pakula, the lowest level. Barr, right. Did you ever have, or any of your minions ever have, or did any of Trump or Trump's minions ever have a conversation with you about Michael Cohen? What was it about? Tell us more. Where's the documents? Where's the emails? What happened then? I mean, these things, Washington, D.C. is desperate to let Bill Barr get, get cleaned up and run him through the car wash because, you know, he's an establishment affable kind of guy. And they think he's, you know, worth keeping around, which I think is a fucking egregious mistake at every goddamn level. <laughs> Talk about funny stuff. So, you know, as I told you, I was trying to get these FOIA documents. I received back a response that turns around and it says that there are no documents that fall within the, the purview of your request. And so I then bring on this guy <laughs> named Mark Zaid, who I'm sure you've heard of. He's like the king yeah, of this. Sure, I know sure. He's the best at this. And he then files um, an action against them. They go ahead. And we already know 
that certain documents exist. For example, the document by Ted Lieu, Hakeem Jeffries, by Michael Horowitz, the IG who's done nothing and completely unresponsive. But we have these documents anyway. So it can't be right. zero. We have like five or six. So Zaid gets involved. And what happens? Now, all of a sudden, there's how many documents do you think that they found now? Oh, hundreds. 456,861 documents. So we went from zero to almost a half a million. But now Half what, a million? Mother of God. Right. And now they turn around and they state, well, because of COVID and because it's going to deal with other institutions, we're going to have to redact them, bop, 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 bop. We can only get to you 500 documents per month starting August 22nd. All right. Why August 22nd? I don't know. But that would take 90 years for me to get all the documents I want. And so Zay turns around and says, look, they're going to fight us tooth and nail on the 302s, on the grand jury documents. After getting rid of the 302 documents, there's 47,000, 47,000 documents. We say, fine, we want them all and we want them all right away. Once again, they come back and say, we can only produce 500 a month starting on August 22nd. So instead, it'll take nine years. Can you imagine how am I ever supposed to be able to demonstrate no, it's, the it's, level of it's corruption? It's absolutely outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. It's absolutely corrupt. And, and, and frankly, you know, if someone from the Biden administration is listening, you guys should step the fuck up here and push the button. Ted this Lou, can be done instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Ted Lou couldn't get it done. Hakeem Jeffries couldn't get it done with letters. It took them 18 months before there was finally a, um, a, a response that was given. And that response came only because of my appearance and Ted Lou's appearance on Alex Witt on MSNBC. Sure. Other than that, they're just it's obscene. That, it's, it's obscene. This is I mean, this is this government works for me. It's my tax dollars that are paying. I can't sure. get my own documents. Listen, this is this is the problem when you have a corrupt president with a willing and complicit attorney general who weaponizes the yep. Department of Justice. And my hope is that is that we're going to be able, whether it's through deposition, through FOIA or something, that we're going to be able to get these documents so we can show the American people the administration that was there, that corrupted our democracy, if in fact that yep. you want to keep the democracy. So look, Rick, we have, as I always tell you, the how it goes by quick. You and I could talk for hours and it seems like I minutes. know, man, it's crazy. I have one last it's question. Crazy. Right? So I have, I have one last question for you. You've been on a truth-telling mission lately. The Megan McCain thread has made you famous in some circles. And quite frankly... No, that's Steve. That's not me. Oh, well, either way, it was refreshing that someone would finally tell the truth and slay the dragon, or in this case, the McCains, right? But what's, what's motivated Lincoln, right, to start talking about this now? Because we've certainly seen how the truth... Well, Steve, can that, that's, that's Steve Schmidt on his, own, on his own recognizance on that one. But look, we, we try to tell the truth at, at the Lincoln Project. We try to be clear about, you know, our beliefs, about where we see the world, about what to do about the problems we're facing. And, and I don't think that in American politics, people always do that. And so that's why I think people find, you know, confronting the past and confronting the facts is not always comfortable, but it's something that, that almost always has a meritorious uh, outcome. Understood. However, however... The truth is very hard 
to get out. And when you know sure. this because there's always going to be someone, in this case, Donald Trump and acolytes, that will say, Rick Wilson, you're a fucking liar. Right? Lion Ted. Of course. Right? How about convicted felon liar Cohen or, you know, any of the other monikers that Donald... Listen, and- I- I've been called everything from a liar to a murderer to a child molester to to a Klansman to to a spouse abuser. I mean, I've been called every every name under the sun, the worst possible things you can be called. And and to my mind, it's hard to bear. But it's also the kind of thing where you when they're that crazy that, you know, when you're taking that much flack, you know, you're over the target. Yes. And I like to be over the target. Right. However, you know what we have seen? What we've seen is that Trump, because of his narcissistic, sociopathic ego and all of the acolytes around him, they all fucked up not once, but it appears now twice. The first was the documentary that Jason Greenblatt, who was former general co-general counsel at the Trump org, set up, which is just a treasure trove of stupidity. But The Guardian, <laughs> Hugo Lowell, just put out um, a yep. story, which I know both you and I retweeted because we thought it was that yep. funny. And I'm going to read from it for yep. a second. Roger Stone and Stop the Steel leaders were followed by a second documentary film crew before the Capitol attack that also recorded key moments in the timeline, including rehearsal rallies and the days leading up to January 6th. I mean, they're like they're like the gift that just keeps on giving. Right. It's like. That that's like that scene from I think it's from The Wire where the guy goes, "Are you really taking notes on a criminal conspiracy?" <laughs> what? <laughs> and they were they were they were they were getting their egos jacked off so they could be on a, in a in a documentary about the the revolution they were planning. So da- dangerous. Crazy. Well, Rick, thank you. Let's stay in touch. Let's keep putting I out these. Always in- love it, brother. And let's keep putting out these incredible videos. Any assistance you want from me, please, to all of I my listeners, it. don't I forget Rick Wilson, Lincoln. You know, um, you know, we we need we need to create the movement. And I say this on all of my podcasts, and I'm imploring people: we have to vote. We all need to join one of these movements. Vote. I tried to make Maya Culpa into the movement. I know Lincoln Project is a movement. Midas, Democracy Now, whatever it might be, so that we could all coordinate, and we need to do a joint group rally somewhere in D.C., maybe in front of the Supreme Court, and let's get out there, not with 10,000 people, not with 100,000. Let's bring out the millions, the millions of Americans that are as fucking sick and tired and fed up with the bullshit that the Trump administration and these Trumpists, you know, are inflicting upon our country. And with that, Rick, I say thank you. And obviously, thank you, sir. As always, a great pleasure. I will looking forward to seeing you again soon, brother. You got it, pal. See you soon. And now for today's mea culpa. The gang of six, otherwise known as the Supreme Court, is off on vacation, taking a well-earned breather from doing the wretched bidding of the Republican Party. They'll need to be rejuvenated after their last stunning session, where precedents be damned. They hit us with shock and awe, overturned established rights like abortion, gutted the EPA, gave a big win to the NRA, and after a little rest, they'll gear up for the next session, where they'll start by undermining fair elections before the midterms and end affirmative action, in part because I think Clarence Thomas hates himself. 
But if you're wondering what the Republican Party stands for as we look down the road to November, you'll be hard-pressed to get a straight answer. When asked what they would do if they won back the House or Senate, Mitch McConnell famously said, I'll tell when we get there, smug asshole. But rest assured, they are no longer the party of small government. Small government doesn't creep into your bedroom or monitor women's periods or send the police after women who, God forbid, cross state lines to get an abortion or other reproductive health care that's quickly evaporating in red states. We know for sure they are for letting corporations run amok with zero regulation and oversight. They're for growing the army and shrinking public schools. In fact, fuck education. They need mindless serfs, not fully formed human beings to do grunt work for the corporations. They're for letting the police go unchecked. Do not film the police making arrests or otherwise it can get you killed. They are not for Black Lives Matter and they don't worry about climate change because if God can make the earth in just six days, he can sure as hell clean up our mess whenever he's good and ready. They are for pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. So don't try that at home, folks. It's near impossible because who has bootstraps anymore? But it's just a weird way of saying they hate social programs and anyone who dares ask for them, let alone really, really need them. I heard a Christian conservative commentator say, and with no irony, mind you, if you starve the poor and offer no government assistance, they will end up on the church's doorstep, like a baby left at the door abandoned. The church will take you in. I mean, whoopee fucking do, everyone loves church. The Republicans are for gerrymandering, and as long as it's in their favor, empowering legislators to overturn election results, as long as it's in their favor, and that they are for guns so that everything is assured to be in their favor. The party of a chicken in every pot is now the party of a gun in every pot. What can I tell you folks? What we know of the Republican agenda is bleak. We see it as they tried to obstruct the January 6th committee and deny vaccine mandates or pick on trans people. And God only knows what the QAnons are after. But let's not find out. Let's work now to get Democrats elected everywhere in November so that we can go back to the American way of life and live. Remember, there are more of us than there are of them. So let's go blue. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>